Showtime Sports presents Showtime Boxing with Eric Raskin and Kieran Mulvaney. Hello and welcome to edition of Showtime Boxing with Raskin and Mulvaney with my co-host Eric Raskin. I am Kieran Mulvaney and no, you are not streaming. Uh, I, I know the passage of time it seemed a bit strange to many of us this year, um, but it has not been a week since we last dropped an episode. Uh, this is the second of four episodes we will be posting this week. Uh, the first of three looking ahead to this Saturday's monster two for the price of one pay-per-view card this Saturday night. Uh, two, three fight cards back-to-back, each headlined by one of the Charlo brothers. Uh, each of our preview pods will be somewhat shorter than usual. So if you usually listen to us on your commute, figuring that the length of our podcast is just the right length for your commute and get you from home to work, then, well, either you need to make your commute faster, perhaps speed a little, (laughs) or wherever you are when this episode ends, get off the train or get out of your car, and that's where you will be starting your (laughs) Interesting approach. But, yeah, Kieran, what what year do you think it is? 2019? Nobody has a commute anymore. That's true. You know, it's so funny. Even as I was saying that. Of course, I wouldn't know. I've never had a commute. I've never had a job. What do I know? Yeah, you're really not an expert in this sort of subject matter. Let's say, though, hypothetically, someone has a commute that is usually about an hour or so, and uh, that's uh, about right for our podcast. If so, here's my advice. When the podcast ends, if you have time to fill, just listen again. You know, you'll you'll catch a lot of Easter eggs and whatnot the second time through that you missed the first time. I mean, this thing is loaded with hidden meanings that require multiple listens. That's right. Play it backwards. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) <laughs> you'll find out which of the Beatles Kieran murdered. <laughs> exactly. Anyway, uh, as Kieran said, this is a pay-per-view preview pod, and it won't just be the two of us previewing the card. Later on, we'll be joined by our Showtime colleague, Raul Marquez, to give his expert analysis, and we'll be dividing up the preview into two parts. Tomorrow, we'll look at the second part of the pay-per-view, headlined by junior middleweight Jermel Charlo against Jason Rosario. Today, we'll focus on the opening three fights, and we begin with the first main event, middleweight action as Jermall Charlo, the older of the two Charlo twins by one minute, takes on Sergei Derevyanchenko. Jermall calls himself the future of boxing, which is a nice, confident-slash-arrogant boast when you're starting out at age 21 or so, but now the Charlo twins are 30 years old, and at some point... The future has to become the present. So could he become the present of boxing this weekend, Kieran? If Jamal posts an impressive win over Sergei Dravyanchenko, does he finally make good on that boast? If it's an impressive win, then yes, absolutely. This would be a, a true coming-of-age outing for him, you know, because now he has this a chance, probably the first real chance to measure himself against the very best, right? So for the last several years, the middleweight division has been, you know, Gennady Golovkin and Canelo Alvarez and everybody else. And and everybody else has been somewhat marking time, uh, you know, waiting for their opportunity or hoping for an opportunity to test themselves against either of those or for the big two to, to step aside. And really the only real contender who's had the opportunity to go up against them both is Daniel Jacobs, who performed well, but fell a little short against them both. Um, you know, and the Charlos have been mentioned, especially Jamal, of course, for some time as a sort of potential threat to either or both of those, of Canelo or, or of Golovkin, but they've been on the wrong side of the street. You know, they were at Showtime and Fox, while Canelo and Triple G were at HBO, and now Canelo and Triple G are at DAZN, or possibly are soon to be free agents, who knows? <laughs> right. um, 
and you know, you always kind of got the sense, or I did anyway, fairly or otherwise, that neither Canelo nor Golovkin were terribly upset to be contractually unable to face off against either of the twins. They sort of right. felt like they were the ones who were sort of lurking in the background who could perhaps have posed a bit of a threat. Um, and right now, it feels as if Golovkin is certainly on the downslope. Uh, it's uncertain what's going on with Canelo, not only in terms of his contract there with his own, but also what weight class is he going to settle into these days? I mean, he's still the middleweight champ, but it sort of feels like he's maybe focusing more on 168 these days. So basically the opportunity is there now, I think, for someone to sort of step in and take up the mantle of being the best active middleweight. Um, you know, and, and I think... Paramount Plus and the National Park Foundation present A Mountain of Zen. This Earth Week, you can live stream seven national parks for seven days on Paramount Plus. Paramount Plus, official streaming partner of the National Park Foundation. Look, if Charlo wins a close fight against Derevianchenko, he can still make a claim to that. Um, but if he beats him clearly, if he stops him, or even if he becomes the first person just to score a clear and wide decision over him, um, then I think basically by proclamation, the worst situation he's in is that he he can make a case of turning the big two into a big three um and really you know there isn't anyone to sort of challenge him in that respect you know so you've got Golovkin at some point when COVID allows is set to meet Camille Sarameta who may be a top 10 guy himself but apart from Canelo apart from Golovkin who else would there really be if, if Charlo were to get a good win against Derevianchenko to sort of challenge that status? You know, Demetrius Andrade, great guy, great personality, not an exciting fighter. Um, don't let don't let Chris Mannix hear you say that. He's been stumping for that fight as if it's the biggest fight Oof. in boxing for a while. Oh, uh, it's a strange, strange hill he's we've chosen all, to die We've on, all got but... our hills to die on, yes. I suppose, <laughs> but there you go. Um, the, what, Rio de Murata? Big guy, great right hand, but, you know, obviously has his flaws. Um, Mungia, Liam Williams. Look, for me, it feels as if, yeah, look, Charlo has more at stake than just winning the fight. I think win it well, He, I think he absolutely has the opportunity to take himself to the level that he's long promised here. Yeah. Um, but that's a big if, right? Um, before he can get to that point, he does have to beat Sergei Derevianchenko. And... That is no formality at all. Uh, if you didn't know much about him, if you were just coming to this pay-per-view cold, you might look at his record and go 13-2. and two. Well, He doesn't have that much experience. He isn't all that great. But as we have often said, records in boxing can be deceptive. And this is a classic case. You know, In his 15 pro fights, he's fought three world titleists, two others who fought for world titles. And his last outing, he arguably should have gotten the nod against future Hall of Famer Gennady Golovkin. Um, so how good Eric is to Revianchenko? What are his strengths? And how big of a risk, after all I've said about how this is the opportunity for Jamal Charlo to really take that big step forward, how much of a risk is it that he really spoils that Charlo show on Saturday night? Well, because I'm a sports betting guy, I'll tell you how good a chance the bookmakers give him first. Uh, DraftKings has Charlo 
minus 182, Derevyanchenko plus 135. So that averages out. You know, if you take out the VIG, it averages out to that Charlo is about minus 160, a little better than a three to two favorite. So they're saying just about 40% of the time, Derevyanchenko wins. And 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 some sports books have it a tad closer, uh, you know, make it a, a better bargain to bet on Charlo, less value if you bet on the man from Ukraine at those sports books. But in short, there's a serious risk here. An upset mm-hmm. in this fight wouldn't be a very big upset. Um, so you asked, what are Derevyanchenko's strengths? Well, he's short for a middleweight, listed at five foot nine, but he finds a way to use that to his advantage. He's really adept at ducking under the opponent's hook, and he has an excellent jab for a guy his height. When he, when he faced and nearly beat Triple G, he was out jabbing Golovkin frequently. He's also a very good body puncher. I believe he hurt Triple G with a left to the body in round five of that fight. Uh, Drevinchenko is trained by Andre Rozier, one of the top trainers in the game. That's a big plus right there. Mm-hmm. But I think the biggest thing he has going for him is how hard he is to discourage. Uh, Danny Jacobs dropped him in round one. Triple G dropped him in round one. He was also cut on the eye in round two against Triple G. And he battled back. If anything, that cut seemed to wake him up and and light a fire under him. He's a very solid, very dangerous fighter. All that said, I do believe, and I said this while watching the Golovkin fight, I do believe a prime Triple G would have stopped him. So the expectation bar for Charlo is still high. You know, that whole future of boxing boast. He stops Derevyanchenko if he's really that good, I would say. Mm. Uh, let's move on to the co-main in which 122 pound prospect Brandon Figueroa puts his unbeaten record on the line against Damian Vasquez. Last time we saw Brandon, he was held to a draw by veteran Julio Ceja in a fight in which he started well, but got dragged into a tough slugfest. Did that fight hint at some limits to Figueroa's ceiling or was it simply a good learning experience for him? On May 23rd, I want to go back to normal. What's normal? The Paramount Plus original series, Evil Returns. We've already hunted werewolves and demons. And now what? A baby antichrist? <laughs> dokie. Prepare yourself. You will not beat us. For the end. I have visions of hell. Make it stop. Make it shut up. You're not gonna survive this. Evil, the final season. Streaming May 23rd, only on Paramount Plus. TBD, I think, um, committing myself as ever. Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, to be fair, there were some mitigating circumstances, right? Say I weighed in well above the weight limit, um, you know, not just above it, way above it, fully four and a half pounds above it. So, you know, he wasn't a super bantam weight that night. He wasn't a featherweight. He was, you know, a, a junior lightweight. And, and Figueroa did say afterwards that he felt that Sayer's body weight was a factor and that he struggled at times to push him back. And although, you know, you'd obviously expect him to say that um, afterwards. But while that certainly makes sense, that that would be a factor perhaps in limiting some of the success of Figueroa's offense, I think one of the things that that fight highlighted a bit, one of the little warning signs that, that the weight difference certainly doesn't necessarily account for, at times Figueroa proved surprisingly easy to hit, um, particularly in the latter stages of that contest. Okay, maybe you could argue the work that was involved in, in, in trying to you know, push Seha back and getting his offense to work caused him to tire a little bit and that made him more vulnerable defensively. But... Um, that was perhaps a little one of the more interesting little warning signs in that fight and something that he will have wanted to have learned from a little bit. It's one of those fights, isn't it? There are two ways of looking at it. 
and and I think that's the case with any youngish fighter when he's first given a really really tough examination by a by a veteran who he would have been expected to be and and one is that you know he showed insufficient discipline against a more experienced but theoretically less talented opponent by allowing himself to be dragged into the other guy's fight mm-hmm. rather than using his boxing skills uh, the glass half full way of looking at it is that you know, against an opponent who basically cheated, he showed that he's more than a pretty face, and he is a pretty face. Um, he showed his toughness and his resilience, um, and he proved that, yes, he's got some boxing skills, but if he has to, he can dig his toes into the canvas and, and trade punches. Um, that's probably not what he wants to do more often than he has to. I don't think that's where his strengths lie. I think he's really a boxer puncher first rather than a, than a, than a brawler. Uh, I'm still high on Figueroa. I do think that that fight uh displayed a a couple of notes of caution but that's okay he got away with it he's still undefeated and it's fine i think for a young guy to to have an experience like that if he's able to learn from it. i think it shows the difficulties in matching an up-and-coming talent you want to expose him to difficulties without getting him knocked off this was a little bit closer than his people would have liked but he did avoid the defeat and and so hopefully it will prove to be a good experience for him down the road Mm. Um, and that road, of course, begins against Damian Vasquez, who is the nephew of Israel, who, of course, is most famous for his epic four-fight series with Rafael Marquez. Um, have you seen anything of Damian Vasquez? Can you tell us, does he fight anything like his famous uncle? Yeah, so I have watched one full fight of his. His six-round draw versus Josue Morales from 2019 is on YouTube in its entirety. And no. He will not remind viewers of Uncle no. <laughs> Izzy. Um, Damien is, is a southpaw, for starters. Israel was not. Damien tends to bounce on his toes. He's energetic. He's a boxer. He, he has the word sugar on his trunks. Fights a little like a guy who thinks of himself as a sugar. And that's not exactly what Israel Vasquez was. Um, in that fight against Josue Morales, which was on a Brandon Figueroa undercard, by the way, um, it was a close fight. Uh, the draw seemed fair. But Vasquez faded. He probably won the first three rounds and probably lost the last three. And that's troubling that it was close enough to make it a draw because Josue Morales is a 500 fighter. Uh, on the other hand, Morales is a fellow southpaw, so that style matchup can be tricky. Uh, the only other blemish on Vasquez's record is an eight-round decision loss to Juan Carlos Payano, who will be fighting on the second half of Saturday's pay-per-view. And there's nothing wrong with that loss. Uh, you know, Vasquez was just 21 years old at the time. It was too big a step too soon, and he said as much. But I do think Vasquez is a level below Figueroa from what I've seen. And he's smaller also. He's mostly been mm-hmm. fighting between 113 and 118 the last few years, although he says he walks around at 140. Um I called this a possible showcase fight for Figueroa when it first got signed, and I'll stand by that. Vasquez is solid. He has some potential as a a once-beaten 23-year-old fighter, but to my eyes, he's the biggest underdog on this whole six-fight card. Mm. The opener, I think, is a tougher call. It sees Jonriel Casimero take on Duke Micah in bantamweight action, Kieran It's safe to say that not too many of our listeners have expertise in either boxer, but Casimero at least has been around and operating at the world level for a while. What can you tell us about either of these guys? 
Yeah, it's interesting. You mentioned that Casemiro has been operating at world level. He's also been operating all over the world. Um, he's the classic kind of road warrior. Uh, he's four in, I believe it's 10 different countries, um, as well as his native Philippines and the USA. He's fought in the United Kingdom, China, Nicaragua, Panama, Mexico, and Argentina, among others. Um, one fight in Argentina was especially notable. Uh, he stopped local favorite Luis Lazarte in the 10th round in 2012 in Buenos Aires. It was a nasty little contest, a bit foul-filled. And by the end of it, uh, the crowd was in a froth and went completely nuts when the, when the fight was over. Chairs were, pun- were thrown, punches were thrown, uh, chairs were piled up in the ring. Uh, it, it, the referee ended up hiding Casemiro under the ring. Uh, and Lazarte ended up being banned for life by one of the sanctioning bodies for threatening the referee's life. Uh, so he might actually be quite happy to be fighting in front of absolutely zero zero fans <laughs> right. in the arena. So uh, um, he's operated at 108 and successfully at well as well at 108, 112, and 115 pounds. Uh, interestingly, he not only seems to have carried his power with him as he's gone up in weight, it seems to have actually gotten a little bit better as he's gone up in weight. This theoretically might be a little bit of a come down for him compared to what he was hoping for. Uh, he was scheduled to face off against Naoya Inoue uh, until COVID struck. Um, so he's going to sort of need to keep that focus and dedication that he would have had, obviously, for an extraordinarily tough assignment against Inoue against the relatively little known Duke Micah. Um, one of the interesting things about Micah, he is from... I think it's safe to say one of the most renowned breeding grounds for boxers in the world, the Bukum area of Accra, Ghana. Um, this is where Azuma Nelson came from, and Ike Corte and Joshua Clote, among others. Uh, his last four fights, however, have been in the U.S., uh, and his trainer's going to be busy on Saturday night. Uh, he's working with Andre Rosier, who you already mentioned. Uh, after working Micah's corner, we'll be running back to prep his other fighter, Derevianchenko. Um, so he's got class in the corner. Uh, he's now based out of Brooklyn. Uh, he's undefeated at 24-0. and 0. The question is, he's not faced quite the same caliber of opponent as Casemiro has. It's also interesting that they're fighting at 118. He's a natural sort of 118 fighter, whereas Casemiro has only just come up to the weight. Yet he only weighed under 114 and a half for his last one. So I think the question mark here is whether Mike is going to be able to uh, demonstrate that experience and ability or whether it's just going to be a step too far against a guy like Casemiro, who's been operating a little bit out of the limelight because he's been on the road all the time, but has been racking up some pretty high-quality victories over the years. The wait is over. The Shy returns with new episodes on Paramount+. Plus. What brings you to The Shy? Opportunity. Everybody get down! Walk right up to the side. A new rain is coming to the south side. Never should have sent a boy to do a woman's job. The Shy. New episodes now streaming. Visit ParamountPlus.com slash The Shy to get a 50% discount off the Paramount Plus with the Showtime annual plan. Offer ends July 14th. The subscription auto renews. Restrictions apply. I know I'm chiming in with this about three minutes late, but uh, going back to your uh, talk of what happened in the Lazarte fight, I just have uh, ECW, ECW chants going on in my head <laughs> as, I, as, I, as I picture that. Yeah, definitely. It actually really looks like that, especially if you could see, by the way, there is footage of it on YouTube. Uh-huh. Um, it, and you by the end of it, yeah, there is just this big pile of chairs in the middle of the ring. So yes. no, no, no barbed wire wrapped around anybody, no. though. Okay. 
good. Okay. No cactus jack or right. anything. Like that. Yeah. <laughs> with my ECW knowledge. Yeah, you know a few things. How about it? Uh, just a few. All right. Uh, helping us preview the first part of this pay-per-view card is a man who will be ringside calling the action for the Spanish language broadcast. He is Showtime boxing analyst, former junior middleweight titleist Raul El Diamante Marquez. Raul, welcome back to the podcast. Thanks for joining us again so soon. <laughs> Happy to be back on, guys. <laughs> um, uh, so look, before we dive into looking at the, you know, the, the, the specifics of, of the main events. Um, we wanted to get a broader look from you at, at the Charlo brothers. You know, obviously, they're from Houston. You're from Houston. Yes. I, I'm curious yes. as to what point you became aware of them. When did they become, like, did Houston boxing circles start to say, hey, we need to look out for these guys. These guys are pretty good. Well, I, I'll tell you what, guys. I mean, I got... I, I'm going to be honest with you guys. I got a, a, you know, a special place in my heart, you know, for the Charlo brothers, because uh, I know these kids, they were young, they were little. Man. I, I used to work out at Willis Savannah's gym back when uh, Ronnie Shields used to train me. And uh, Willis Savannah was a very, uh, he recently passed away. You know, he was uh, really involved in amateur boxing and helped a lot of, you know, kids here in the community stay out of the streets and, you know, just direct them the right way. And, uh, the Charlo brothers, uh, you know, they were part of that gym. They were part of that gym. And I remember training uh, there with Ronnie and, you know, back in the days, Evander Holyfield when Ronnie was with Evander too. Uh, so I just remember them twin brothers, they were, you know, running around all the time and working out hard. And I can't say they had big amateur pedigrees, you know, because I don't, I don't believe they ever won national titles or stuff like that. But I knew back then, you know, they, it, I mean, how could you miss, you know, they're twins, you know, so, <laughs> and they're, obviously they were boxers and you, they're little, so, you know, they're, they're going to create attention. They, they, they catch your eye, right, by looking at them. And, and what I noticed about them is it's a worth ethic. You know, they would always come back and work hard no matter what, and they'll sit there and watch, uh, you know, me doing sparring or whoever was, you know, uh, Juan Diaz or, or uh, Evander Holyfield at that point, whoever was, you know, they were watching, they, they would try to learn. They, they wanted to learn and, and uh, it, it's just incredible how they would, you know, they would go to different tournaments, maybe not win, but they were back in the gym, working hard, working hard. And um, I didn't really start, you know, again, in the amateurs, can't say they won national titles or, or maybe, maybe, you know, were Olympians or anything like that. But once they turned pro, you know, they started winning. And, and uh, you know, they're, they're, they've been, you know, Showtime has done a really good job of promoting them as, as the twin brothers. And, of course, they've, they've done a really good job of backing up, you know, uh, their name, the Charlo twins, the, the you know, Lions only. Right. Um, and, uh, you know, that, that's what caught my attention about them, just their worth ethic. And, I, you know, now uh, it's incredible that, you know, they, they went from prospects to contenders to champions, and now they, you know, they've gone so far now that, you know, this Saturday, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a step in, uh, you know, it's, uh, it's the beginning of, you know, maybe uh, they could be, you know, pay-per-view superstars, you know, and, and they have the right opponent. Both of them have the right opponent in front of them to dance with because on paper, I mean, I don't think either one has ever fought, uh, you know, with Jermail, talking about Jermail, who's fighting uh, Jason Rosario and Jermall, who's fighting... Uh, that have been Sergio Derevchenko, them are tough, tough guys. I mean, they, I don't, they've never been in the ring with anybody like that. So yeah. I would think that, 
you know, being victorious and and especially like really you know, making a statement and, and really looking good by in devastating fashion by knockout or just dominating um, would be a good start into maybe promoting, you know, the day both, I feel like they both need each other, promoting both of them uh, and becoming, uh, trying to become, you know, some pay-per-view stars or, or being able to sell, you know, pay-per-views because yeah. they're, you know, because of, you know, the, 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 they're brothers and they're twins. Right. <laughs> yeah, it's 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 an angle and a hook that no no other two guys uh, in the sport have quite that way. And so focusing on on Jamal's fight here, he's in he's in tough against Derevyanchenko. Uh, Derevyanchenko gave Daniel Jacobs a good challenge. He arguably should have gotten the decision against Triple G. So what would a decisive Charlo win? Whether he knocks him out or or just wins a, a clear decision, becomes the first to really do so against this guy. What would that say? about his status in the division well i mean that that would that would be it, it, that's everything you know because it, triple g and danny jacobs weren't able to do that you know and a lot of people thought that i could have won those fights you know and, mm-hmm. and i remember sergey from uh, being on showbox too he went yeah. he came through showbox and at one point i i named him one of the uh, prospects to become a world champion in a couple of years or get up there fighting the big names and sure enough he did uh you know with triple g and jacobs and and uh you know he, he's had a lot of amateur experience over 300 amateur fights and i think jamal stopping him you know or just giving him a, a beating you know winning unanimous would hey that's that's making that's putting out you know a big statement out there like hey i'm I want the bigger fights, you know. I want I want to fight with Triple G or I want to fight with Canelo, you know. And obviously that's what that's what Jamal, I mean Jamal want, is looking for. So uh, he knows what's at stake, you know. He knows how important this fight is, uh, but you know he's gonna have to be very smart. He's gonna have to be very smart because uh, Derevchenko is not no pushover. I mean he's 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 gritty. He's you know you guys know the way he fights. He's, he's very consistent with pressure. You know he puts on that physical pressure. Uh, and he's going to force him to, to, to fight. You know, he's that kind of guy, you know, that, that he digs hard to the body and he tries to break you down. So uh, Charlo needs to uh, have a good game plan and stick to his game plan and not make any mistakes uh, to come uh, come up ahead that night. Well, what is the best game plan for, for Jamal? Like you said, Derevyanchenko is a guy who likes to come forward and put on pressure. Presumably that's yeah. going to be his key to victory. What does Jamal need to do? Does he kind of like need to keep him at distance? What, what's the key for him? Yeah, I mean, well, look, Jamal, he needs to have a strong foundation. You know, he needs to be intelligent in there. You know, step around him. Don't don't get in the line of fire. You know, he's got a box. Use that long jab and then straight right hand and the right uppercut. And just kind of like various combinations. Work the body too to slow him down. And also, you know, when, when Derevinchenko is attacked and take that half step back, catch him coming in with right hand, left uppercut, right hook. Just various combinations and always step around him. Circle around him. Never stand uh, in the line of fire, never stand in front of him, you know, to, to, uh, that way he won't get hit, you know, to, to make Dramanchesco lose his balance and he can't catch him with his strong punches. So at, at the end of the day, he's got to fight a very, very, uh, intelligent fight and, and be very focused and don't let, you know, pride get to him. You know, if he gets mm. you with a big shot, you know, he doesn't want to get in a slugging. In my opinion, he don't need, you know, he don't need to get in the slugging. Uh, toe-to-toe match with Derevchenko, especially early in the fight. Of course, if he hurts him, you know, uh, Charles, Charles, both of them 
but especially I think more Jamal, you know, he, he's got that killer instinct, you know, he's got that tiger. When he hurts you, he'll, he'll go and, and get you out of there, but he, he's got to use that long jab and, and uh, you know, he's got to have good footwork, great legs and great conditioning, keep stepping around him and stay away from the power, stay away from the big shots. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, so Jamal of the two brothers, you know, Jamal has the the perfect record. Jamel doesn't anymore, but I, I think Jamel is the more tested brother. He's probably faced an overall slightly higher caliber of opposition. Would you say Derevyanchenko is Jamal's best opponent to date? Oh, absolutely. Yes, okay. I mean that that's why this fight is on pay per view, and that's why I keep saying that if he's able to knock. Uh, Derevinchenko out or just, you know, win unanimously with, like, easy, make it look easy, uh, that, that's going to put him up there. That's going to show, you know, that's going to put a big statement, you know, and, and show that, you know, he's ready for even, you know, bigger fights because that, 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 that's what he wants. He wants the big names. He wants the big fights. And, and you know, the big names that are out there, you know, of course, are someone like Triple G, you know, Danny Jacobs is still there, uh, you know, Canelo, but I'm sure that, you know, he always, every time you bring it up, he talks about Canelo, you know, that's right. the fight that, that everybody wants. <laughs> exactly. Everybody, right. 160, 168, you know. Yeah, no, absolutely. But uh, yeah, you better not get caught uh, looking ahead of Derevyanchenko to to guys like Canelo because he's got a, a tough test in front of him. But uh, thanks, uh, thanks so much, Raul. Great stuff as always. We appreciate you helping us uh, break down the first of, of the two main events uh, coming up on Saturday, and uh, we look forward to talking to you again tomorrow when we preview the second main event. Uh, so uh, thanks, thanks again for uh, joining us on the podcast. My pleasure, guys. Okay, that will do it for this first pay-per-view preview episode of Showtime Boxing with Raskin and Mulvaney. As a reminder, the action begins on Saturday night at 7 p.m. Eastern, 4 p.m. Pacific on Showtime Pay-Per-View with a total of six fights, all for one pay-per-view price of $74.95. Before then, if you haven't yet seen it, or even if you have, uh, check out The Journey, a chronicle of the Charlo Brothers' personal and professional lives, narrated by our friend Brian Custer and available on all Showtime digital and on-demand platforms. And as we mentioned earlier, we will be back tomorrow to preview the back half of the pay-per-view card headlined by Jermel Charlo against Jason Rosario. Until then, thanks so much for listening. Be safe, be kind, and be well.